13 this morning. All right, now I got my preferred mic on because this lets me move around a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to look at one verse this morning. I am actually addressing our high school and college graduates. The rest of you just get to listen in. But as you listen in, I believe God has something for you that your heart will be challenged again. As my heart was as I studied again this very familiar passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11, look with me at this verse. Paul says, this is, he's using this as an illustration. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But he says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And no, this is not just a message about putting away video games and other things like that and stuff and moving on to the next phase of life. This is much, much more than that. I want to give you a little context here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is placed right between chapters 12 and 14. Quite an exhaustive discussion that Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers about gifts, specifically the sign gifts. It seemed like the Corinthian believers were desiring those temporal sign gifts that gave much outward evidence that they had the Holy Spirit. It seems like they, the Corinthian church was more interested in impressing each other with their spirituality than they were about being more permanently changed in their character into the likeness of Christ. And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, inserts 1 Corinthians chapter 13 here and said, Look, rather than impressing one another and comparing yourselves with one another, you need to love one another. And you need to move from just desiring outward evidences of your Christianity to an inward transformation into the image of the Christ. And he uses this illustration of of natural or, or human maturity, the process, to illustrate spiritual maturity. I would like this morning for us to focus on these aspects. I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. We're going to take each of those phrases, and those are going to be our main points this morning. The first main point is, and he said this, when I was a child. The word child is the Greek word nepios, which literally means not speaking. There are several Greek words for child. This one means an infant. So one that's not yet speaking. Okay? (coughs) Excuse me. It's kind of ironic because one of the sign gifts that they were most interested in was speaking in tongues. Now, I believe that tongues were, they were language, they were known languages, especially if you study on the day of Pentecost, when the apostles, and I believe the disciples, as they were speaking, proclaiming the gospel, spake the gospel in languages previously unknown to them, but known to those within the audience. At, the, at Pentecost, Jews from all over the known world who spoke different languages were come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And so as the Holy Spirit had come to indwell the apostles and the disciples, they're proclaiming the gospel in different languages. But they were not just these heavenly unknown tongues. They were unknown to the people speaking them, but they were known because every man heard the gospel preached in his own tongue or his own language. 
But it's very interesting because what Paul's saying here is that when you, when, when you do speak like that, and of course, 1 Corinthians 14, going further in discussion, he talks about God's not the author of confusion, but of, of peace. And that you shouldn't all be talking in tongues at once, but it should be done in order and there should be an interpreter so everybody understands the message that's being given because it was not just some kind of a moment where you are just overwhelmed and you're speaking this gibberish. You don't know what's happening, but you're having this emotional slash spiritual experience. No, this is God purposely revealing, continuing to reveal truth through the Holy Spirit and that truth is not new truth. It is always established truth. Some of it was newly revealed in that time. Even as Paul says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That truth was always true, but it had not been revealed until the appropriate time. So it's interesting that Paul uses this word nepios, one that, is spe- that really can't speak clearly or distinctly. In other words, I believe one of the things that Paul, in using this illustration of a child maturing to adulthood, is you don't even really know what you're saying or what you're doing, and yet that's what you want, and, you're, and you need to be being transformed into the very image of Christ, because 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. Therefore, pursue the character of Christ in that you exemplify and you practice biblical love. But it is God's purpose for us to not stay children. Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, them he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn or the prototype among many brethren. You see, it's not just, well, you know, if you're a Christian, all things somehow are just kind of going to work together for good. And we just kind of throw up our hands and say, that's it. No, verse 29 tells us, what is that good? It, it, the good is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. So the circumstances that happen in our lives, the struggles, the trials, the battles, the triumphs, all of those things that God allows to be a part of our life, God purposes to use those to conform us, to transform us into the very likeness of Christ in our character, which then translates in our priorities, in our speech, in our actions, in our reactions, all of that. So I said, look, God wants you to go on from then. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Why did God give these offices, these gifts to the church, like the evangelist and the pastor? Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints. That means to mature. For the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, very interesting there. I could preach a whole message just on that passage. But when he talks about, because you're not going to see those commas in the Greek, and it doesn't mean that God's called pastors to help mature the saints. The pastors do the work of the ministry. The pastors edify the body of Christ. That's true. But it's all one flowing statement. And that is that God has given the pastors so that the believers are matured, so that they are doing the work of the ministry and are edifying or building up and strengthening the whole body of believers. Therefore, marks of a mature Christian is one who is actively serving in his local church to his brothers and sisters in Christ and is edifying or strengthening and building the faith of other believers. But it's God's purpose for us to grow till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. There's that word perfect again, mature man. And what is the measure of maturity after the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? 
until we become exactly like Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow. And that's in the linear tense. It means, but keep on growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We all start off physical and spiritual life as newborns. We all go through an infant stage, but we shouldn't stay there. It is sad when somebody physically grows, but they do not mentally or even physically develop and stay in some points at an infant stage. And may God give us grace and compassion to minister and to love those people because they are created by God, given life, and we should love them and we should minister to them. But it is sad when that development, that's not something that would be normal or something that would be desired. Now, just as children develop at different rates and in various areas, so do believers. Some babies, man, those teeth just come in early. And other parents are like, is my baby abnormal because my baby is this, is this? All the other babies are getting their teeth. My baby still doesn't have their teeth and comparing and all of that. Or, you know, my child is still, you know, crawling and their child is their same age and that child is walking. Look, we develop in different areas at different rates of speed. Okay. God's story and path for each of us is unique. However, we should all be growing in all of those areas into the image of Christ over time. That's why when Peter talks about holiness, he says, wherefore, be holy in all manner of conversation. That is, in every facet, in every aspect of life. Not just isolated things like church attendance and church activities and a few isolated things, but in every aspect of your life, we are to be pursuing that consecrated, dedicated, set-apart life for God's service living to make an impact for eternity for the glory of God. As we consider this, these verses, I want us to look at these different phases that Paul mentions. The first is this. He says, I spake or I spoke as a child. Some of the passages of Scripture that address Christian conduct and growth would be Ephesians 4, 25, where... Paul writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, I'm not calling sin childish in that sense. But if I am maturing in Christ, if I am growing in sanctification, it means I'm becoming more dedicated to God and more separated from sin. Understand? So sin is not merely spiritual immaturity. Sin is still a crime against God. It is still offense. And remember, as a believer, though I will not be condemned in my sin, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. God, as my Heavenly Father, will lovingly discipline me if I continue stubbornly practicing any sin whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. But in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, we have a pattern for spiritual growth, victory over sin and transformation. And here are the principles in Ephesians 2, 22 to 24 that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So I'm putting off the flesh. I am crucifying the flesh with the affections and lust, 1 Peter chapter 5. I am mortifying the deeds of the flesh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. So I am putting off those sinful habits by the grace of God. I acknowledge and I confess that when the Spirit of God shows me as a believer, hey, you are doing something I forbid, 
or you are not doing something, I command, I agree with God. First John 1, 9, if we confess, it means amaligao, means to say the same. I agree with you, God. I confess that I am doing what displeases you. I'm doing something you forbid. I'm not doing something you command. It's sin. And Lord, please forgive me and restore me in fellowship. Please cleanse me from that and please transform me. Lord, I want to go away from that and towards Christ-likeness. And so I need to put all that off. That is an ungodly, that is a wrong, that is a sinful habit, response, perspective, priorities, whatever the case is. Lord, I want to confess and I want to forsake that. That you put off concerning the former conversation. Stop it! <laughs> Stop sinning, Paul writes that. And then be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How am I changed in my mindset, in my thinking? So that my perspective and my responses and my choices are programmed in a way to please God. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law, the scriptures, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written there, therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. It comes through the meditation on the word of God. It means that I read the word of God, I think about the word of God, I pray about the word of God, I ask the Holy Spirit to take that truth of the word of God and show me how to live it out in my practical day-to-day, moment-by-moment life. And so when I was a child, I, I spoke as a child. So here's the transformation. Put away lying, speak every man truth. Put off that which is wrong, put on right. And specifically when it comes to speech, I need to, as the Bible says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. I need to speak the truth. Ephesians 4, a couple of verses down, in verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the, hear, to the hearers. Put off, put on. Again, we see that pattern. Put off anything that has the potential to corrupt another person's thoughts or attitudes by your speech. That means taking God's name in vain, not to be a part of Christian speech. That means using curse words that ought not to be a part of a Christian speech. We should not, as Paul writes to the believers, you talk about those things which are obscene. We should not gossip, be a backbiter, a tailbearer, because those things have the potential to corrupt other people's thoughts and attitudes. Let no, zero tolerance, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying. Instead, I need to instead seek to speak that which builds people's faith, their understanding of God, which encourages people, which strengthens them, which supports them biblically. And then ministering grace to the hearers. My speech ought to be a vehicle of God's grace in other people's lives. And that's not just for somebody who teaches a Sunday school class or stands behind this sacred desk and preaches a message. That is something every believer ought to be using their speech to do. I wonder, husbands, wives, in the way that you speak to one another, brothers and sisters, the way you talk to one another, does your speech minister grace or grief? James 4.11, speak not evil one of another, brethren, gossip, tailbearing, criticizing, backbiting. So I spoke as a child. God wants to change my speech. I understood as a child. This, the reference here is to an earlier undeveloped or underdeveloped exercise of, childish, of a childish mind. It is thinking which is not yet connected to 
reasoning. We could say that this is a spiritually immature perspective. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 20, the Bible says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Same word. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. That takes study, that takes meditation, that takes a purposeful intent that I would have an understanding, that I would have a matured ability to reason from the scriptures. So, for instance, the Bible may say something like, the Bible says this, What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This body is God's temple. It ought to draw others to worshiping God. It ought to be that which accurately reflects the character of God. It is the physical tool that God has given me with which to serve him. I know it's a temporary tool, but God wants me to take care of this tool. Therefore, for instance, I'm not going to smoke or vape. Why? Well, do you see in the Bible, thou shalt not smoke, thou shalt not vape? No. But in understanding, I understand that... There are so many health risks associated with smoking and vaping. I understand that the expense of that may not be good stewardship. Have you looked at the price smoking lately? It ain't cheap. And even if you're on health insurance, what is one of the forms if you're applying for health insurance? Do you smoke? How often? So though I cannot say if you're smoking cigarettes or you're vaping, you're in sin. I can't say that. But I can say that I've come to a place in my life where I understand this is application for me, not you. Okay? That I've come to a a place of understanding where I can reason from the scriptures and say, this is not wise. This is not good stewardship of my money or of my body. Therefore, I'm choosing not to do that. And that's just one little illustration, okay? That's just an idea. Ephesians 5, 17, the Bible says this, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. This is a different word for understanding, though it's the same in the English. This Greek word literally means put it together, comprehend. So that means you've got to read, study, listen, and meditate so that you can put all these things together. Oh, that verse is talking about this principle. This verse is talking about this principle. But this is how these link, and this is how this ought to be in my life. It's like building a fence. You have fence posts, you have the cross boards or whatever you're using or sections of fence and you have to put it all together to make a fence. And you've got to have your plumb line and and all those other things and you've got to be able to to set your posts straight and all of that in order to get the fence right. And so you've got to put it together. And it's kind of that idea of putting it together spiritually through the word of God. This is part of maturity. Being able to move from immature spiritual reasoning. If you're, if you're newly saved, right? And, uh, and as a newly saved person, uh, you know, you're not able to really reason from the scripture and make some of those life navigating choices biblically yet. That's okay. You know, we don't expect, you know, an infant to be able to uh, make a decision. Well, do I invest in an IRA or a 403B or a 401k? What do I? That, that's they haven't come to any kind of understanding or reasoning where they can make those choices. But as responsible adults who are in stewardship of God's finances and the foreseeable future, and we have been given the responsibility to provide for our families, uh, we should be able to use that reasoning to make wise choices. But we don't expect that out of babies. 
So if you're a new Christian, that's not expected. If you've been saved for a while, you ought to be maturing to where you can put it together and where you have understanding. In understanding, be men, be mature. And then he says this, I, I, so go back to verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child and I understood as a child. Now this, I thought as a child. Say, understand, thought, very different here when you go back to the Greek words. This idea is reasoned, all right? So it's a, it's a, different, a little different idea. For instance, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, Paul says, for I reckon, that's this word, okay? I, I'm thinking this way, I'm reckoning this, I'm accounting this. It's more than just having an, an understanding. It's arriving at a definite conclusion that then determines my actions and responses. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So it's coming to biblical conclusions based on truth. Here, interpreting eternal values within the realm of temporal experiences. A child doesn't think or reason in the context of the long term. If you offer a child, let's say you offer a a toddler a choice. You can give them one of those great big lollipops like this, right? Um, Or you can give them a $20 bill. Which one do you think they're going to take? They're going to probably take the lollipop. They know what that is. This little thing over here is $20. That's just a piece of paper. They don't understand and don't attach the value to that $20 bill, but they sure know what that lollipop is like. And that's what they want. See, they have no idea. They don't really know how to make a long-term choice based on what's right in front of them. But as we mature, we are able to set right values and make decisions. We come to biblical conclusions based on truth that then we allow that to interpret our actions and our priorities. Paul says, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. What are you living for? Are you using the temporal as an investment and as a tool to use for God's glory for the eternal. That is proper biblical reasoning. And then the Bible says, but when I became a man, it could also be translated having become a man. In Ephesians chapter 4, going back to that passage where Paul's talking about the purpose for the the gifts of the church, the offices of evangelist and, and pastor teacher, he says in verses 14 to 16 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. You see, as I began to understand as an adult, spiritually mature, and as I began to think, reason, come to biblical conclusions as a spiritually more mature person, then I am going to be grounded in my faith and I'm not going to be so easily swayed by every religious trend that comes down the road. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Have you become so familiar with the truth that you can discern it from error? I don't know if this is the way that they still do training, but I know that used to be, and we are moving to more cashless society all the time, are we not? But I, be- I believe that when it used to be that when um, a bank teller was being trained to handle money and to identify counterfeit, they would give them stacks of real money in various conditions, and they would just have them count it so that they would get the feel for it. 
I can remember there was one time when I was in evangelism, we had, um, uh, my wife had CDs and we had uh, my dad's memory plans and other things. And so we made those available for sale to churches to, for tools for them to use, right? Um, and so I was going to deposit some of the cash from those sales um, into the ministry account. And, uh, and, and praise the Lord, this is a place where my parents have banked for, you know, 40-something years. And, and we'd banked there for a number of years ourselves. I mean, I even had a when I was a kid, I had a savings account through this bank. So they knew me. Um, but as I hand the money, the bank teller's just counting it off real fast, and she stopped. And she said, this is counterfeit. And I said, how can you know? She said, feel it. And it felt a little bit like felt compared to paper. And I was like, uh-oh. And then I was like, can I keep that as a souvenir? That's kind of cool. And she goes, no, by law, we have to turn this into the government. I'm like, oh, man. But how does she know that? She was so familiar with the truth that she could immediately identify a counterfeit. She didn't have to study all the different fake bills that were out there because there are always going to be more fake bills. Satan always puts a new spin on a lie. But if you know the truth, the truth shall make you free and the truth will help you to discern error. Become a person of discernment, not easily swayed by arguments, especially away from Christ and the scriptures. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But look at this. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Again, maturing into Christ-like character. From whom the whole body, fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Catch this principle too, friend. If you're a born-again believer and part of this local church body, if you are being slowed down, if you are willingly staying in an immature stage because you're being spiritually lazy, you are, may I put this in right terms? Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I don't know another word to use that's more accurate. You are retarding the spiritual growth and development of the rest of the church because you're not willing to grow up spiritually. Don't you hate to hear that? Has everybody ever said that to you? When will you ever grow up? Yeah, man, we all kind of bristle at that, don't we? And probably all of us at some time to somebody, especially in junior high, say that to somebody else. Man, grow up. When you ever grow up. But you know what? When I'm not willing, can you see the logic of this? If I, because this is scriptural, this is reasoning from the scripture, if I as the pastor am not growing in Christ, deeper in my understanding of the scripture, closer in my walk with Christ, being changed in my character into Christ's likeness, am I hurting the spiritual welfare of this church? Yes or no? Yes, I am. Yes or no? A little louder? Yes. But you know what? I'm just another believer, gifted by God and called to do what I do. But you are a believer just like me if you're saved. And your lack of spiritual maturity, if you're choosing not to be submissive to the process of growth, is slowing down and hindering the growth of the body of Christ. I, I don't know if I've used this illustration or not, but I think it applies here, so bear with me if I've repeated it. I'm getting to the age where I'll probably start repeating illustrations and don't realize that I've told you this before. 
so you'll have to pardon me. But when I was 10 years old, one night, I woke up in the middle of the night with excruciating pain in my legs, specifically behind my knees. I thought, and, and I was going to be paralyzed. Now, the pastor of the church there in Star, the former pastor, Jesse Diss, was a pastor that I knew very well. He had had polio as a child. So he had the braces on the legs and he had the crutches, you know, with the handles on them. And I remember him from some of my earliest memories. So I was thinking, I wonder if I got what Pastor Diss got, if I'm going to be crippled for life myself. And so I just kind of rolled out of bed and I kind of army crawled to my mom and dad's bedroom and I knocked on the door and dad opened the door and there I am. They're laying down on the floor and he's looking, you know, down at me and I'm, you know, looking up crying, thinking that I'm going to be paralyzed for life. And I said, dad, I think I'm getting paralyzed. And my dad says, what makes you think that? And I said, because I got these terrible pains in my legs. Well, where exactly? Behind my knees. And I said, no, you're not going to be paralyzed. Those are growing pains. Growing pains? Yeah, you're going to get taller. I am? Yes. Hot dog, guess what? I was healed. I stood up and walked back to my bed. Did it stop the pain? No. It still hurt, but guess what? It was a whole lot more endurable because I knew I was growing taller. And that was exciting. Hey, folks, it is painful to mature in Christ. It hurts to grow up spiritually. But you know what? It's exciting. And what God can do in your life and through your life for his eternal glory is absolutely worth the pain of growing up. And then the last thing he says this is, I have put away childish things. The word put away literally means to render useless or powerless, to cancel, to bring at an end. To destroy, to free from, or to sever. It's the same word in verse 8 that's translated to vanish away. It means throw away actions, attitudes, and habits that pacify the sin nature. (laughs) When I was a youth pastor in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, it's right across the river from Harrisburg, the capital of Pennsylvania. And this was back in the 90s, and I was a youth pastor. And one day, I saw what I thought was the silliest thing. I saw senior hires walking around with lanyards and attached to the lanyard was a pacifier. The pacifier was in their mouth. And they're walking all real cool like this with the pacifier in their mouth, you know? And, and some of those who didn't have pacifiers, man, they were sucking their thumb, man. They were cool. They were immature. I don't care what kind of a trend that is. It's silly. And they were pacifying themselves, maybe comfort of, uh, of, the, of the feelings that they had when they were a safe infant in the crib or something. I don't know. But they were, they, folks, get rid of the pacifiers. Stop sucking your thumb. You know, it's sad is how many Christians shortchange themselves because they're oversensitive. And that thumb goes in their mouth. I'm not going to church because that person said something to me. They looked at me a certain way. They made this decision. They didn't take my idea. They... And they put their thumb in their mouth and they suck it and they feel sorry for themselves. And they walk away from the blessing of local church. Now, I'm not thinking of anybody in mind. I'm not preaching at anybody or any particular situation. I saw it a ton when I was a youth pastor and I've seen it in evangelism. And maybe there's somebody watching by way of live stream and you haven't been in fundamental local church and been an active part of a local church because your feelings got hurt, you got upset, you were sensitive. And if you really think about it and compare it to the scriptures, 
you're so focused on a temporal circumstance that you are wasting the opportunities to mature in Christ and to serve him and to edify and build a local church and grow with that church and help others to grow. Because your focus is on yourself instead of on Christ. How sad. Put away the childish things. Stop pacifying your flesh. Whether it's lust, whether it's laziness, whether it's popularity, whether it's temporal wealth, whether it is the adrenaline excitement of some of the thrilling adventures that you want, whether it is stab- status and it will impress others, get your thumb out of your mouth, throw the pacifier away, put away childish things and childish attitudes and anything that pacifies your sinful flesh and grow in Christ, for he is holy. Now, I'm probably going to take some flack for this statement, but that's okay if it makes you think and really truly consider. If you're really open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm not going to get real specific here, but what I am going to say is just an illustration. Don't find your comfort. Remember pacifier, sucking your thumb. That is for comfort and security, right? Don't find your comfort in the world's music, entertainment industry, or wisdom of this world. Find your comfort in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the promises of God's word, and the encouragement of fellow believers. Our entire earthly journey as followers of Jesus is an epic adventure of transformation. May the inspired words of Paul as he wrote the following verses be our mindset. In Philippians 3, 12 to 15, Pastor Mike read this as part of the scripture reading this morning. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Paul himself said, I am still growing. Even though in verse 17 he says, mark me as an example. He was saying, mark me as an example, not of one who has attained Christ's perfection and exactness yet, but as one who is growing in Christ. You can follow me as I follow Christ. Mark that as an example. But he says, not as though I had already attained either were already perfect, but I follow after. I hotly pursue like a high-speed chase where a police officer tenaciously follows the person that's running. If that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Do you see this focus? Forgetting those things which are behind, whether those are past failures, past hurts, or even past victories, even past lessons that we've learned. We can't think because we've learned some things, gone through some trials. God's taught us a few things. We've drawn closer to him, and we've grown that God has done with us growing. Remember the little bumper sticker? God ain't finished with me yet. He's not finished growing any of us. I count on myself to have apprehended this one thing. I focus on this, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Treasure the goal. Pursue it at any expense and effort to be like Christ. But it all starts with salvation. My friend, has there ever been the time when you've had a personal meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
understanding he is the living, eternal Son of God who did come to this earth, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross and shed his blood as the sacrifice and the payment for your sin, suffering the wrath of the Father upon himself as that substitutionary sacrifice in your place and for your sin so that you could have his forgiveness and receive eternal life by faith. Have you called on Christ by faith and accepted that, acknowledging your need and recognizing and identifying him as your only hope of eternal life and then putting your trust only in him for salvation? If not, you can't even begin the growth process because there is no life in you. Paul says in Romans 2, or Ephesians 2, 1, and you have to be quickened to make alive who were dead in trespasses and sins until you come to Christ and let him cleanse you and forgive you of your sins. You don't have eternal life. She said you must be born again. You are born physically. You have physical life. But unless you put your faith only in Jesus Christ and trust him and only him for eternal life, you are still spiritually dead, separated from him, and will spend eternity separated from him in a real place called the lake of fire. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants to forgive you of your sin and give you everlasting life. And then you can join those of us who put our faith in Jesus in this incredible epic journey, this adventure of being transformed in the image of Christ. Is it scary at times? Yeah. Does it hurt? Absolutely. Are there sacrifices? Yes. But man, is it worth it. I trust you'll join me in pursuing Christ. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Lord, these powerful words in this one verse, when I was a child, we all start off as newborn babes in Christ. We start with the milk, not the meat. We're not ready for that yet. But as we grow, mature, we should be able to mature. Even the author of Hebrews confronts the Hebrew believers and Christians and says, look, when you ought to be teachers of others, you need one to teach you, which be the first oracles of God. In other words, they hadn't gone beyond the very basic principles. They, they should have matured beyond that and grown deeper in their walk with you and matured and been transformed to more, but they had remained spiritually immature. Oh Lord, may that not be us. Help us, though, where maybe some here have only been saved a few weeks or months or years. Help them to grow and to mature. Lord, change our speech. Maybe there are some here who have not matured they're still speaking in fleshly way. Maybe that's some that need to understand as a man, to think spiritually, to be able to come to biblical conclusions based on truth, and to put away childish things having become a man. And should there be somebody here who's not received eternal life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your own son, May this be the day, Father, when you draw that sinner to yourself, that the Holy Spirit would illumine that heart with the understanding of the Scriptures and that Jesus himself, the loving Son of God who sacrificed himself and suffered unspeakable agony for them, would become dear to them and they'd trust him and be saved. Oh Lord, for whatever it is in our lives that's hindering us, may we throw away the pacifiers today. May we commit growing in Christ. Maybe some of us think we've almost arrived, but we'd never voice that. That's our attitude towards the scriptures and towards messages and towards just towards our spiritual life. And maybe we just need to be remotivated again today by your word, by your Holy Spirit, to keep pursuing Christ-like perfection. 
Lord, may you always be our delight. May you be the one we love with all our heart, soul, and mind. And loving you that may we want to be just like you. And show us how and lead us by your grace and teach us by your spirit and instruct us through your word. In Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. Would you stand with me? We'll have a come forward invitation. The pastors will be here at any one of the main aisles if you need to trust Christ as your Savior. If you need someone to pray with you or you'd like counsel, see one of us. If you as a believer already know what the deal is between you and the Lord that you need to come and make right with Him or you just want to come and pray, turn these front steps into an altar and kneel and pray. Sit here at the front pews. You're welcome to do that and pray. But please, please do not leave here unresponsive. Actually, you do respond. You always respond. You either say yes, no, or ignore. But you will be held accountable for every word of truth that you hear. So respond in a way that is pleasing to God. If we can help you with that, it would be our privilege to do so. As our pianist begins to play, would you come?